Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Scott Schaefer, in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, gay stand-up comedian Zach Zimmerman grew up in Southern Virginia with extremely religious parents, their father, a Southern Baptist pastor, their mother, a waitress who worked at the local Red Lobster for 40 years. Coming out wasn't easy, but Zimmerman works it all into the comedy now. Their new essay collection is titled, Is It Hot In Here or Am I Suffering For All Eternity For The Sins I Committed On Earth? It's a reflection on Zimmerman's evangelical upbringing, overcoming religious guilt, and living life as a queer, atheist, vegetarian comic. That's next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Mina Kim. Well, life wasn't always that funny for Zach Zimmerman when they were growing up in Southern Virginia. Today, Zimmerman is a queer stand-up comic and writer making fun of their Southern Baptist father, who is clearly not comfortable with the whole LGBTQ thing. Their new essay collection is titled, it's kind of a memoir-esque format, by the way. It's titled, Is It Hot In Here or Am I Suffering for All Eternity for the Sins Committed on Earth? finding humor in things like going from being a straight meat eater to being a queer vegetarian atheist while overcoming religious guilt. Here's a bit of a routine they did on the Late Late Show with James Corden back in October. I'm from the South. I'm a Southerner. Dad, he's a pastor. Mom's a server. They're both making sure things don't burn for a living, so that's fun for them. They raised me really religious. In college, I actually studied religion and theater. It was a double major in lies. with a minor in asking for money. (laughs) But I gave it up, converted to queer vegetarian atheism. But I think I could be a good pastor. I think I'd make a phenomenal pastor. I have everything you need. Deep knowledge of the Bible, captivating stage presence, dark and sinister homosexual past. (laughs) And Zach Zimmerman joins us now. Zach, welcome. Scott, thank you for having me. What is it like hearing that clip? Uh, You know, that was a big deal for you. It must have been to be on The Late Late Show with James Corden. I was like, that, that, that person's funny. I was like, can I just sit back and listen to that? That sounds <laughs> I mean, some people fun. hate hearing themselves or seeing themselves. I, I guess you've gotten over that. Uh, at first, when you start listening back to like stand-up clips, it can be sort of like, do I really sound like that? But eventually over time, it's sort of part of the work. The yeah. thing I have noticed is a thing I call laugh dysphoria which is where you remember something being more or less funny than it actually was. <laughs> Hopefully more funny than it actually Hopefully. was. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 
I want to ask you about your the evolution of you, Zach, uh, and also you know as you've worked that into your comedy. You've already we just heard the reference to your to your father. Tell us about growing up in in Southern Virginia. Southern Virginia, this tiny little town, not that tiny, called Roanoke. It was surrounded by mountains. It made it uh, hard to get out of. Uh, and I, I remember so vividly just I loved school growing up. I was so good at school, and I've looked back, and if anyone is ever getting straight A's, they want to escape. They want to get out of the place that they are in. Um, in many ways, I, my parents provided for me, and, and I'm very grateful for my childhood in lots of ways. In other ways, um, sort of. I think learning about hell at eight years old or even earlier is a pretty dangerous like idea to plant in someone's mind. Yeah, And I think the religious right has actually gotten smarter and hipper to that. I don't hear as much fire and brimstone today being preached about. Um, but it for could this, be the, tr- the circles you're traveling in. <laughs> that's true. Everyone, uh, everyone is dressed like they're going to hell, um, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. Well, um, uh, you know how um, you know you were, you had several siblings. I forget where you are in the birth order, but you know a lot of times kids in families they pick a lane. Like the brothers, you know the the screwed up one, the other one's the straight A student. So they're going to be the the class clown or whatever. Was there was there a lane that you sort of identified for yourself? That is very apt. I was second of four. Uh, my sister chose uh, cheerleading and boys. I chose academics. My young sister uh, is still figuring it out, <laughs> and my youngest brother um, is also still figuring it out. So I think really I'm the only one who picked a strong lane and stuck to it. Yeah, and you got out. Uh, did they as well? My uh, sort of. My older sister, I love her to death. She owns a hair salon and works in real estate. Uh, my family has since moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and my younger sister is a second grade school teacher uh, who I'm very proud of as well, has a master's in uh, education. And then my youngest brother uh, is a firefighter hmm. um, and uh, part of the Trump train. So I think if you look at the numbers, three out of four of the kids became sort of at least liberal progressives and only one. Um, so I don't know what my parents' success rate is in their eyes. But <laughs> what? Uh, how many of your siblings and, and your parents? So that's how many people is that? Uh, five? Oh, it's early for math. Um, one, two, how, yeah, five. how many of them think it's funny, your, your comedy? <laughs> I think... All of them think different parts of it are funny. I remember uh, my dad before James Corden uh, texted me, good luck on your thing, which feels <laughs> like a very dad thing to say. Uh, and I, I've learned to have two separate text threads. There's one with my sisters who we sort of model great behavior and let people know news. And then we go to the broader family chat and sort of uh, encourage everyone to ask great questions and be proud and supportive. But I managed to... Uh, forced out of my father a congratulations uh, phone call where he told me uh, he thought I was very funny and that the moment was not bigger than me, which I remember pretty vividly him saying. Well, interesting, and we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but there is a point in this book of essays uh, that where you, uh, your dad is taking a class, I think at Liberty University, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. religious institution. I think, was that the one founded by Falwell? Founded by Falwell, Falwell yeah. University, some yeah. call it. So he, and he asks you to edit something that he's written. Um, what was that like? Because it, it seems like it was a bit of a revelation for you uh, in terms of what his upbringing was like. It was. I think um, it was challenging for sure. I just sort of, my relationship with my childhood and religion has definitely changed uh, over the past five to ten years, I sort of 
came out guns blazing. There is no God after I left college. Um, but I've softened a bit now to it. And so he was asking me to edit his testimony, which is sort of how he came to be saved and have an incredible salvation experience where he heard the voice of God. And that's what he told me as a child. Um, and that's what caused me so much pain because I was like, God's not answering my prayers. I'm going to hell. Mm. Uh, and so editing that, I looking back, I was pretty cruel. I was sort of uh, a, a like smart aleck, uh, recent Ivy grad, uh, correcting every sentence and every typo and not giving a ton of grace uh, and treating this sort of as like a, a second grader school assignment that I'm a teacher sort of like schooling them. Um, hmm. I think I would approach it with maybe more compassion now, give maybe a few gentler edits um, to that document. But I do find my skills as a storyteller uh, do sort of come from him in many ways and my mother. And so even though I'm on paper different than them in terms of what we believe, I can start to sort of, as so many humans have realized, I'm slowly becoming them uh, <laughs> or realizing what parts of myself aren't original, but instead passed down from these yeah. two complicated, wonderful people. Well, I wonder if it goes the other way as well. Uh, do you think you are rubbing off on them at all in terms of the way they look at the world? I mean, you know, coming out uh, sometimes, you know, families think of you as one way and then they realize, oh, my son's queer or my daughter's queer. Uh, and they have to kind of reprocess everything. And I'm just wondering now that they're, they've had a while to do that, do you find that their behavior either toward you or their outlook toward the world has changed at all because of you know knowing you and know, having a queer son? They've definitely learned to bite their tongues. So it may, may be biting them so tight that they're bleeding inside their <laughs> mouths. But they've learned if they want to have my company and presence at Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, that I'm sort of mandating a certain level of acceptance. And also culturally over the past decade, it feels like the world has changed quite a bit and quite rapidly in terms of uh, queer rights. And so they're existing within that landscape. Um, and so I think they have grown. That's my theory about it all is that like our bodies love one another and our bodies sort of know when another human's in need and there's compassion it's just sort of the mind that gets brainwashed or programmed with talking points uh, from different sort of anger-inducing media sources uh, like, QED, like KQED, of course. Um, <laughs> exactly. uh, and That's our goal. And so I think the more we just spend time together as physical forms, uh, it can benefit things. At the same time, we're living in a landscape where, in my mind, I thought my conservative parents were like this weird thing that was just like in my past. But now I'm slowly, and the world's, I think, slowly realizing like, oh, no, this is like a force in American politics that will continue to be here. Um, we're on sort of the day after, uh, or DeSantis is about to announce his run, um, and sort of uh, queer rights and trans rights are at the front of um, this election and being used uh, in dangerous ways. And so... Yeah, got a little it's, rambly there. it's very much in, in the present. It's not uh, not just in your past. If you're just joining us, talking with comedy writer and performer Zach Zimmerman, their new book is titled "Is It Hot in Here or Am I Suffering for All Eternity for the Sins Committed on Earth?" Zach, is that a title your agent encouraged you to use? <laughs> it was not the original title. Uh, I knew I wanted to invoke hell because hell's so important to sort of how I thought about life and uh, as an idea about sort of the hot, awful things that happen, like getting dumped on a plane or uh, sort of love affairs gone wrong. Um, so the original title was On Your Right, Fire and Brimstone, like a little tour through mm -hmm. hell. 
And then I made this big list of all these titles. And I never would have thought this was the one, but the publisher was like, that's it. That has to be it. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of uh, humor is rooted in pain. um, And I'm just wondering to the the extent to which you feel that's true for you. Um, In a lot of these experiences as growing up, you, you talk about them on stage and in the essays and so on. Um, but is it, is, you know, is it, is it just a way to deal with the pain or are you sort of through the pain and now it's just funny? I read a poem in the pandemic that, unfortunately, I don't remember the poet's name, but the idea was that suffering carves space to fill with joy. And that kind of changed how I think about so many things. Like when something awful happens, uh, that can be a really funny story in the future. And I think as comedians and writers, we have this perverse incentive then to seek out horrible things. Um, I wouldn't mind just being like a goofy comedian who didn't have to go through some of the things that I've gone through. Um, But I do think there's that old axiom sort of comedy is tragedy plus time. Uh, And I think comedy is a great coping mechanism. Uh, And it's also a way to get people's guard down, sort of, uh, if I was preaching to you, uh, my politics, you might shut down. But if I can make you laugh or smile, uh, suddenly your guard goes down. Yeah. And also comedy matches my politic in a way. I love, I mean, it's kind of pastor vibes, but I love like people coming together and laughing. I think laughter literally makes us light and sort of connects us to some, if there's a zeitgeist above us all or sort of this like magical uh, oversoul or force above us, like when we're laughing, our ego goes away. We're not individuals. We're part of this big collective and yeah. connected to the other humans around us. That is Zach Zimmerman. They're with us for the hour talking about comedy, stand-up, and a whole lot more. We'd love to hear from you and you know, maybe some of the themes about uh, that uh, Zach talks about and uh, jokes about. Have you abandoned a belief system at some point in your life? What triggered it? How has the death of a friend changed you? We'll talk about that with Zach in a minute. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. Or you can email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour from Mina Kim. And we'll have much more with Zach Zimmerman in a minute. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here today for Mina Kim. My guest is Zach Zimmerman, writer, stand-up, comedian. Their new book of essays is titled, Is It Hot in Here or Am I Suffering for All Eternity for the Sins I Committed on Earth? We'd love to hear from you, uh, your thoughts about your own belief systems. And, uh, you know, did you have a point in your life where 
you kind of took a pivot away from your family for one reason or another. Uh, and what about you? Do you turn to comedy to deal with painful or traumatic things? Give us a call about that or anything else at eight. Well, not anything else. You know, we're kind of we like a question for Zach. That would be good. Eight six six seven three three sixty seven eighty six. Eight six six seven three three six seven eight six is the number. Zach, uh, we asked you to read something uh, from the new book and something that will pass muster with the FCC, preferably. <laughs> um, and I think a lot you're of gonna... brand names. <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to start uh, with a bit of this essay called Salad. You want to just sort of set that up or just start reading whatever you want? Yes, this is the uh, first uh, chapter in my uh, collection, and it uh, is my first trip back home uh, visiting my family after a four-year timeout uh, for Thanksgiving. This is a salad. The battle began at the Myrtle Beach Costco. I was steering a shopping cart with enough food to stock a doomsday bunker when I spotted a bulky bag of spinach. We could make a salad, I suggested. You can make a salad, Mom answered. I'm not going to have any salad. First blood had been drawn. Mom's dinner table had always been a parade of simple southern recipes, dishes that seemed to say, we're all going to die of heart attack, so let's do it as a family. For a newly minted New York City slicker to return home and suggest a salad not of the macaroni persuasion, on Thanksgiving of all days, was blasphemy against God. Of course, I no longer believe in God. It had already been a challenge for Mom to get me home for Thanksgiving. I'd skipped the last four years, opting for romantic trips abroad with my boyfriend. Now, newly broken-hearted, I decided to pull a prodigal child, do the right thing, and return home. Spirit flies direct from New York, Mom texted me. Going home feels like going backward, I thought but didn't say. The flight was turbulent enough to induce labor, but we managed to land without any change to the number of souls on board. My entire family, two sisters, brother, mom, dad, and my older sister's three children, were in the airport with a Welcome Home Zach sign. The spectacle suggested I was returning home for more. I'd just forsaken my familial obligations. My mom smiled and gave me a one-handed hug, the other hand gripping my six-year-old niece's baby doll. I tossed my tiny bag in Dad's truck and rode shotgun. We talked about the weather and city living. Meanwhile, I worried that if I mentioned my ex-boyfriend too loudly, he might drive us into a ditch. There's a tension in southern air, the strange bedfellows of homophobia and humidity, and the ever-present terror that the person you were might be long behind you, but they are still breathing down your neck. I love that last line and that concept of, you know, you think you've kind of gotten beyond uh, who you were, but uh, they are still breathing down your neck. Do you feel that way? And is that, is that your family members or just your own conscience? I, I Not conscience. A... You know, you're, what do you call that even? I, you, you know, you're talking to yourself, that voice. I feel like we sort of learn the same lessons over and over again. And the past isn't, you know, behind us. It's inside of us. And learning to make friends with it rather than trying to eliminate it hmm. has been sort of the struggle of my life. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in this moment where suddenly trans kids and their families and drag queens are, you know, are under attack and play. It's, you know, it's not funny. It's crazy. There, some of these states, what they're doing, um, Ron DeSantis in Florida just signed a bill that now uh, some organizers of pride parades uh, fear could cause them to get in trouble with the law just for having the parade. And, you know, so much of the of it is being driven by I think the 
you know, the, the, the homophobic lie that, uh, you know, if you're gay, you're a threat to kids. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, you talked in that little essay there about your six-year-old niece. How does, how's your relationship with your nieces and nephews? And, and how, does, how do your siblings, you know, feel about that? My siblings are, are very supportive. And I remember, I, I, it's unfortunate, I kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater with my nieces. And I think I became like a, a, an uncle figure to them too early. And I was a, a bad uncle. But what do you of, mean? Uh, just not visiting, or I sort of didn't invest in family uh, and relationships with them because I was creating some boundaries and distance with my parents. Um, but I've heard through my sister, who's kept my, not my memory alive, but the idea of me alive, that my uh, niece was in school and sort of was like, my my uncle's gay. Uh, and so, there's so, growing up now as a child, there's just so much more representation in media. People are uh, coming out in an earlier age, getting in tune with who they are earlier than ever before, that there's just such a, a, a difference in being 10, 13, 18 today uh, than even a decade ago or five years ago. Yeah. Um, and No, sorry, go ahead. I, uh, go ahead. I forgot the question, oh. Scott. Oh, it wasn't really a question. It was, well, it was about your nieces and nephews. And, like, you know, it, it's funny. There's, now there's a whole phrase, gunkles, you know, for gay uncles. Yes. And, yes. Um, and it's, which has even been used on the floor of the state legislature by one of the gay members. I remember a couple of years ago there was some proclamation about gunkles. Uh, but, yeah, that was the question. Just because, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you're, especially if you don't live in town, I think you're – like, I have nieces and nephews in different – places, you know, and I think when, when my husband and I come home, it's, they're sort of like, oh, we're exotic or something. <laughs> there is, uh, someone told me that you can show up for a niece or nephew at any age. So I am optimistic that sort of like my role, like my, my best friend just gave birth. She's got an 11 year old or 11 day old at home. And I'm sort of thinking about like what my role in that child's life will be. What uh, career will I represent? What identity will I represent? What resource will I be? Uh, to that child in different ways because queer and trans people aren't going anywhere like you're not protecting your child by like not letting them go to drag story time um, you're cutting them off from figuring out maybe who they are or being exposed to how other people uh, see the world and so it's it's a very scary time um, can't, can't yeah can't republicans just be i don't know can we just have like old school evil why does there have to be like this new kind of evil coming yeah through? And, and why does george santos have to be gay anyway <laughs> i heard i want to give him back <laughs> yeah we well i do love a queer villain i mean he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of camp and he's gonna go to jail for a very long time yeah. so that's a redemption story <laughs> or there's justice in that yeah exactly uh talking with zach zimmerman uh, comedian writer and we'd love to hear from you if you want to Ask a question about how to get into comedy. I'm sure you've had that question before. 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. Or send us a message via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. And uh, let's start off in San Jose, California with Dan. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Scott. Good morning, Zach. Zach, this is Dan Weed. How are you? <laughs> Dan Weed, father of John Weed, uh, John Nowsweed, who I went to college with. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear you. Um, we are so supportive and so proud of you. Uh, just your days back at Quipfire. And I know Rachel just got to see you in Boston. So we're coming at you from all coasts, buddy. We're keeping an eye. <laughs> did Rachel tell you the story of what her husband did at my show? 
Um, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, could you tell it to me again, please? He, um, so I was doing a show in Boston on my book tour, uh, and uh, it was the last stop, and it was a seven o'clock Saturday show, and I'd had great crowds for whatever reason. The I don't know if I can say mass hole, but they were not kind to me. It's sort of the crowd. I don't know if they didn't know who I was. They were not ready to laugh at seven o'clock on a Saturday, and so they were like arms crossed. I was still having fun with all of them, but then at a certain moment, a joke had bombed, and I hear this voice from the the darkness go. Is it hot in here? <laughs> and it was the very drunk husband of uh, my college friend's sisters. Uh, and it was perfectly timed. Uh, and so support comes in many forms. <laughs> calling into a radio show, calling out uh, in a crowded theater. Um, yeah, yeah. But, well, anything for a laugh. Uh, Dan, what, uh, what, what, what do you, how old was Zach when you met him? Um, always just spontaneous. Um, uh, he was in a group called Quitfire with my son, which is the improv group on at Princeton. And the uh, first time I met him, I was just enchanted. He was just Aww. so fun to be around. Uh, he and Jonathan, my son, were uh, were great buddies, um, had a great, great uh, group that they worked with. And it was just fun to see um, what was going to come of Zach and the other people that are part of, were part of that group. And I'm just so impressed by you, Zach. Love you to death. Uh, can't wait to see you in person. And like I said, we got you from both coasts. So best of luck, my friend. And uh, and we, I loved your book too. I let, sat down in one in one seating and read the whole thing. Yeah. So thank you for that. All right, Dan. Oh, thanks thanks for Dan. checking in. How how nice how nice to hear from him. Um, you know, I have to ask you because both Dan and I called you he, and you use non-binary pronouns uh, they and them. And I'm wondering, you know, how did you come to do that? Um, and you know, how do you how do you feel? What kind of reaction do you get? You know, and, and and you correct people when they call you by you know him say say him or he. I'm definitely on to be just totally candid. Definitely on like a journey with it all, and so it's very in the past three years pandemic vibes where I was sort of like, oh, maybe I'm not starting to piece together. Like, oh, maybe I'm not a man. There was a moment and it was in Palm Springs with a gay friend of mine. He's like, when did you? feel like you became a man and i did not have an answer hmm. and so that palm springs will do me. that to you <laughs> and so i've i've done it very clunkily there i i didn't haven't yet felt compelled to be like i figured it out and this is everything that i am i just know that like he sometimes hurts but also from a place of love like i'm not gonna like make someone feel bad uh if they drop uh, uh he here or there because mm-hmm. uh, even some days they doesn't feel like totally right mm-hmm. my favorite thing and it sounds a little like conservative like i don't like pronouns but i just love i love being called zach i feel mm-hmm. like it like rather than sort of labeling me one specific part of my identity uh that that captures so much of who i am yeah I've yeah. thought about there's a an artist Taylor Mac whose pronoun oh, is Taylor Judy. Mac is amazing. Yes, and I've been in in moments. I think people would think it's funny, but there have been moments where I'm like, I think my pronoun. I want my pronoun to be the divine light within us all. <laughs> so you're like, oh, Zach was on the show. The divine light within us all was so fun. <laughs> I, I don't think you could put that 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 name on the cover of that book with that long title. Though. You might have to put the name on the back. Hey, we're fighting for word counts out here. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the phones. And again, the number is 866-733-6786. Maybe we'll hear from another childhood acquaintance or something. Let's see. J.D. in Oakland, you are next with Zach Zimmerman. Welcome. 
Hello. Thank you. First off, Zach, I am laughing my butt off on the way to work. Um, I have not heard of you before, but I am a queer person that grew up just south of what you're talking about in Polly's Island, South Carolina. Oh and I live here. <laughs> yeah. So I live in Oakland. I've been here the last 10 years. And I constantly feel like I'm between two worlds of existence, right? Like with my family being more conservative, they didn't necessarily grow up as religious. Um, but I'm just curious, how do you, what is your take on finding grace um, either in your audiences or just trying to, to map that picture of, hey, we're more alike than different. What a great question. And also, J.D., sorry for your situation, too. Or we're making it through. The t Between two worlds, I totally hear. Um, the biggest revelation I've had, and it was after like the book came out, was sort of the idea of a boundary. <laughs> and I think that's been eye-opening with my parents and I, like deciding, like, oh, we're having a catch-up call do we want to debate the topic of the week or just talk about like memories or what you're up to today? Um, and so I've been sort of enchanted by the idea of uh, kind of making new experiences with them and not just rehashing the whole same uh, debates. And grace is such a beautiful, I mean, it's a Christian idea, but I guess we can uh, keep it. Uh, sort of people take time to change and you can't change someone else. You can just believe and give them space to change on their own. Yeah. Uh, at a big scale, sort of that isn't okay when you need like political change, but in like one-on-one -on -one human relationships, like people take time. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm still figuring it out in real time and yeah. live. JD, did you come out to Oakland to sort of get away from that? I mean, were you deliberately looking to live in the, you know, the liberal bastion of the Bay Area? You know, it's, I guess so. So as the theme as we've touched on, you know, just the idea of like escaping, you talk about being a straight A student. Yeah. I mean, I was AP, AP person, got all the scholarships <laughs> and all the things. I got to get out of here. I got to do things. But as you get older, you just realize those connection points. My sister just had a kid. She's in Miami. You know, you just, you really try and find those moments of connection. And I think for now, for all my friends here, they view the South as like this horrible, horrifying place. And it's not always reality, right? We know that we live in these kind of complicated and, and interesting ways. So. Yeah, absolutely. JD, thanks for calling in. Really appreciate that. And, you know, Zach, I think that's an interesting point because, you know, um, things like race are just handled so differently in the South. I mean, those of us who live in the North or the East or the coasts, we sort of think, oh, we're so much more enlightened. <laughs> but I think a lot of folks who of color in particular who live in places like Alabama, Georgia, you know, race is just more out front, you know, and not, it doesn't mean it's necessarily easier to deal with those issues, but it's not, there's not any sort of a, I don't know, like a, a thin surfacey kind of um, uh, acceptance here, you know, uh, of, of, of difference sometimes, especially if the difference is like, JD was saying, oh, we, we look down on the South, which kind of, you know, I, th I think there's room to discuss that. Totally. The South is not a monolith by any means. My friend uh, Jay Jordan, a very funny comedian, has a joke sort of uh, about he uh, grew up in or went to school in Mississippi and moved to New York as well. Uh, and we work together. He has a joke about um, how people are like, oh, how, how are you from the South? The, the, the racism there must is so pronounced. And he's like, y'all pronounce it just fine up here, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you say it more softly. Right, exactly. Yeah. I want to ask you about um, your friend who was a very close friend, maybe your best friend, who was killed, shot and killed in the Virginia Tech shooting. I think that was 2007. Um, and what impact that had on you in terms of your own thought of who you were uh, and your relationship to your family and religion? Can you take us through that? 
Totally. I um, it it it's strange looking back because I think inevitably I would have found out parts of myself at different speeds. Uh, but that was sort of an acceleration. It's my freshman year of college. Uh, I'm in a religion course on the biblical King David because I decided to study religion to start to sort of unpack this document that my uh, dad believed and sort of learning about it as a historical document was kind of interesting to me. Um, and then you just get that just like shocking news that there's been this mass shooting and you text all your friends who went there. I Virginia Tech was my uh, on my application list of schools that I was going to go to uh, and then Hen didn't respond and sort of dealing with grief and tragedy uh, in that sort of public way. I know today it feels like there's is and not just feels like there is a mass shooting um, every day. Mm. Uh, back then it sort of still felt novel and new and losing someone. I just that's finally when sort of I, I say I heard my voice uh, and it wasn't from God. It was sort of when I was looking at my friend who'd been taken away. I was like, oh, this is why religion exists to like deal with this. Mm. Terrible so was it a pain. feeling that sort of, you know, how could a good God allow something like this? Was that part of the self conversation? I think I just saw where humans would come up with it sort of, Oh, I, I want this to hurt less. I mm. could, I could think up some, some afterlife. I could think up some, uh, but, but a hundred percent there's sort of no, how do you, yeah, how do you explain horrible tragedy and suffering uh, in the ideas that there's an omnipotent, omniscient, uh, omnipresent God sort of puppeteering all that? What, yeah. what would be the, the purpose of it? Yeah. We are going to continue this conversation with Zach Zimmerman. Uh, their new book of essays is called, Is It Hot in Here or Am I Suffering for All Eternity for the Sins Committed on Earth? Give us a call if you have any thoughts about his comedy or your uh, relating to his situation. Uh, uh, and, and they're coming up from uh, to New York, getting out of the South, and so on. Uh, any of that. It's all fair game. 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. Or you can find us... Of course, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Insta, we're at KQED Forum, or if you'd like, email us. It's forum at kqed.org. Scott Schaefer here this hour for Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Then welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here with Zach Zimmerman, writer, stand-up comedian, and we're talking about religious guilt, relationships, identity, vegetarianism, love, comedy, and we'd love to hear from you. It's 866-733-6786 is the number to call. And uh, let's go back now to uh, Oakland. Genevieve, welcome. Uh, hi, thanks. I'd just like to make a comment. Um, I just really want to thank Zach for being so loving of their parents now. Um, because when when my sister came out at 18, my parents did not take it well. And they came around eventually, um, but my sister really didn't in response and and that that took a horrible toll on um our family as a whole on on me as the only sibling and yeah you know um in retrospect all of us just didn't have the skills to to talk about it Mm -hmm. um and now that my sister and i do have the skills our parents are gone Mm -hmm. that's sad yeah, it is sad. Um, Zach, any thoughts about that? I mean, was there a point in, in your, you know, identity, your journey, uh, where you thought maybe you should just cut yourself off from your family? I've definitely been, and Genevieve, my heart goes out to you. Um, if It never felt quite like I had a choice. I feel like I'm my default is sort of empathy uh, to a fault sometimes. Um, I'm too understanding and sort of it took finding my community in New York for me to start to build my own confidence even to be like, no, I'm not going to tolerate this behavior or that particular behavior. It certainly can be easier to sort of make that final cut. Um, And sometimes I think about peers who sort of were uh, kicked out or don't have relationships at all with their families. And that's heartbreaking, but also in some ways easier, in some ways harder. Um, Yeah, I... Mm. I'd like to believe in people's capacity for change just because I myself, like at 16, I was preaching conservative talking points. Like I've changed so much that I feel like I have to extend that grace to other people that they might change too. Yeah. And Genevieve, does your sister regret at all not, you know, being more forgiving of your parents and their reaction? Mm, I don't know. She really struggles with a anger management problem mm. and uh, we haven't we haven't talked about that in particular although I'm very happy to say that um, after years of she and I not getting along we're now very close mm. and we're the only family we have for each other and I'm just very grateful for that yeah well I'm glad you shared that story with us Genevieve thanks so much for calling in and, and best of luck to you and your sister Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Um, Here's another, boy, you just, you know, everyone has a coming out story, you know, and sometimes, Zach, uh, those stories, you know, they don't begin well, but they end well. Sometimes they begin horribly and that's the end of it. Uh, Sometimes, you know, the parents join PFLAG and are marching in the parade. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's, you never know what you're going to get. And sometimes they surprise you for, you know, in one way or the other. That for me is sort of maybe why I didn't go one way or the other when I, Uh, came out to my mom it was on the eve of like my princeton graduation speech and i was going to come out in my opening line uh and she asked can we not make this the discussion of the weekend (laughs) which is sort of 
uh, a nudge back in the closet, but also not sort of, uh, she, she didn't accept and embrace, but also like maybe not the time. And so it was sort of her choosing that like middle path uh, that sort of, I think, set us off on this middle path together. Yeah. Um, you feel like you met halfway or two thirds of the way or what? Oh, goodness. A metaphor I used forever ago was like learning to be happy with a nickel. Like that's the most they have to give me of their love. But I, don't, I feel like they have a dime these days or mm. maybe like a quarter. Uh, I don't know what the perfect yeah. uh, spectrum is, though, whether we're in the middle or not, yeah. or whether I'm pulling them towards my side. Yeah. All right. Zach Zimmerman is our guest this hour. Uh, writer, stand-up comedian. Their new book of essays is Is It Hot In Here? Uh, and let's go to the phones. Uh, I'll give the number out again. It's 866-733-6786. And Andy in Montera, welcome. Hi. Um, I also want to say um, I think it's wonderful how forgiving you are of your parents. And uh, I think that it takes um, a lot of courage for um, for you to be able to accept and keep your heart open. But my point that I wanted to make has to do with labeling people gay when you're... This comes up because when they spoke about their niece, um, who um, they had not had much of a relationship with, and she said, my uncle is gay in class, it would, it would say to me that their sister um, described him as gay. And I've struggled with this all my life. I've struggled with race, you know, with culture. That when I introduce my friends, I don't say, hi, this is my friend, you know, Joe. He's gay. I, I'm wondering um, how you feel about that, that there's so much to people. We don't describe people as, when you introduce them. You don't describe them as, this is my friend so-and-so. He's a trumper. Mm. This is my friend so-and-so. <laughs> Um, you know, she has congenital heart failure. You know, it's like, <laughs> you Good know, point. you, you, yeah. you describe people, you want to describe people as their level of compassion or their, um, you know, so, their, some other quality friendship to you. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think yeah. of that, Zach? I mean, you're obviously as a gay comedian, you know, it's very much part of your onstage presence. And I would imagine most people who go see you know that you are queer, right? Yeah, I feel like, or what made me laugh there, the idea of telling someone has congenital heart failure. I'm like, <laughs> con context is sort of when different parts of someone's identity starts to become more or less important. Uh, sort of when you're networking, maybe you say, oh, this is my friend, they're a writer. Um, or So, so I, I, I'm, I am curious, like, in what context my sister sort of came out for me to her niece uh, or her daughter. Um, and yeah, we are all such complicated beings and mm. all these... Uh, oppressive, or all these systems of oppression sort of like categorizing mm -hmm. us and making us small and certain separating us from one another. Yeah. Uh, but I, oh, go ahead, Scott. No, I was just going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just a thought popped into my head. You know, my, I, I think the question of whether parents tell their friends, you know, w w that they have a child who is LGBTQ, um, it, to me is sort of an indication of how supportive they are or how um, comfortable or ashamed they are. You know, it's, mm. it's uh, if, if they don't say anything, you've got to wonder, like, well, why? Are they afraid of the reaction? So, so Andy, I think that, you know, that's kind of a counterpoint. Another, another way of looking, about, looking at that idea of, like, when do you tell that someone else 
you know, is gay. That does make me want to ask my parents how they talk about me. Is it just like Zach went to Princeton or, yeah, what role does my sexuality play in their conception of me? Yeah. I mean, um, would it bother you or make you feel better if, you know, one way or the other? I might, I might feel a little seen if they were to say um, the, not to totally spoil the end of the book, but there's a moment when my mom sort of, I ask, like, there are some parents that come to, like, pride parades, like, I love my queer kid and have big signs. And she's like, do you want me to do that? I'll do that. Hmm. And I don't know how sincere she was in that moment. But <laughs> I think having any part of your identity, especially a minority one, validated by someone else can feel really nice. But you can also feel tokenized if you're sort of being paraded around uh, at a straight gathering. Um, yeah. Andy, any any last thoughts? Um, no, I, I, I hear that there is a, a counterpoint to that. I get that. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm that one who... When you're describing a friend, there's three people sitting on a bench. I'll say, you know, the one in the white shirt. Mm-hmm. I won't say that that um, that woman from India. I'll say the mm-hmm. one in the white shirt. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, yeah. and and I wouldn't I wouldn't say that guy over there. You know, the one over there, the gay one. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I know? would say that. <laughs> that queen over there. <laughs> Andy, thanks so much for the call. Thanks for sharing. Uh, got, got us uh, got us thinking about that. There is uh, that scene in. Uh, the book, Zach, at the Olive Garden, which I guess is a sister franchise to Red Lobster. I didn't know that, where your mom worked. or Did she still work there? Or is she she still is at Red Lobster. Uh, Darden restaurants used to own both of them. And so we got a discount at the Olive Garden. And that was where we spent every birthday and every graduation, every celebration. Even when my book came out um, on Easter, I had brunch at the Times Square Olive Garden with a bunch of friends. <laughs> now uh, you can't not do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it was that, am I remembering correctly, that's mm-hmm. where you kind of came out to her at the Olive Garden? It's kind of where we made a, some sort of truce, uh, which we still revisit, um, where we kind of, uh, it flashes back in time to the Princeton graduation uh, when I more formally came out. Um, but yeah, it, it folds those two moments together, sort yeah. of us having yeah. this this meeting of the minds at the Olive Garden, which is such a charged <laughs> As place, one does. nostalgically. Yes. <laughs> They're the only account I follow on TikTok, which started as a joke, but now every time I post a TikTok, I'm just watching all these Olive Garden TikToks. <laughs> what is their social media account like? Uh, it's it, you know they're growing uh, a lot of fans doing a lot of twisting and turning of Alfredo's um, <laughs> there was an ASMR video the first video I saw this year on New Year's Day I woke up hung over and I opened my phone and it's this young lady doing an ASMR of, of uh, Olive Garden food which was so foul it was just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tapping on the clamshell it was just it was an awful way to start the year. Did you say that's the only thing you follow on TikTok? Yeah. I still, like, get stuff from the algorithm or whatever. If you look, you see yeah. just, like, one. F- that was the deal I made with myself as I started, like, a new platform and the politics of who you follow and who you don't follow and which friends. So I was yeah. just like, you are know you, I'm just going to follow the algorithm. Are you off Twitter because of the changes there? <sighs> no. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm not famous enough to be off Twitter yet. I'm still. <laughs> you need Twitter it, to become famous. I, I needed it to like, <laughs> promote the it. book and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, it feels like that's what happens. People get blow up and then they can leave social media once you have more like traditional Hollywood success. Yeah, it does feel. I think you know if you're if you're in the news biz or what you do, you know, it is it is a valuable tool. And whether you like it or not, you know, you sort of feel compelled 
to use it because it does reach a lot of people. Although I get the feeling you reach fewer people on Twitter these days. I th- it's starting to feel that way. I know Blue Sky is taking some people, but I got tagged in a KQED tweet that we were live on the air. So, well, there you go. Maybe it's you'll... still valuable. Yeah, exactly. You're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in Formina Kim. And we continue our conversation with Zach Zimmerman. Um, you know, I'm wondering how did, how did, uh, you know, we've, we've been going through this, we're coming out of now, but still a lot of people are working from home, not going into work. Um, how, ha- how has that affected both the comedy, you know, the, the things you find funny, uh, but also how people receive it? In terms of post-pandemic? Yeah, like, you know, like if you're doing stand I mean, because I have found just, you know, anecdotally and myself sometimes, we, we sort of got out of a habit of being social. Mm-hmm. And so people were, not so much now, but for a while, maybe a little awkward. Like if there was a big group of people, like, oh, like they forgot how to do small talk. Oh, totally. I feel very blessed here in New York during the pandemic. We started doing shows in the park. So we'd be just like out with a speaker and you'd get 20 to a hundred people out in Central Park or Prospect Park doing uh, shows with Stand Up New York. And so we'd be doing stand up for people who, honestly, it truly felt like a public service at that point because the way people came up to you after, like, thank you so much. I like needed that. Like, I know it's cliche to be like, we need laughter, but it truly felt like people were like coming out of horrible grief and tragedy and just being able to laugh or have someone reflect back something funny. Because there's always funny, even in the darkest, darkest, darkest thing, there's things that can be made fun of or find levity in it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that uh, that happened. And then also the book came out of it. I like flocked to the written word when I didn't have as much uh, creative expression in terms of uh, being able to do stand up. So I was like, oh, now's the time to like sit with all my inner demons in my tiny little studio and <laughs> yeah, let your <laughs> put mind pen go to wild. Paper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got some listener comments. Tim writes, well, I'm a queer cartoonist down in Temecula, which is down, well, mm. he says on the very un-gay friendly side of the mountain from Palm Springs. I write jokes and humor and then draw pictures to go with them. Living in the conservative side of Riverside County certainly has informed a lot of my humor. What Zach is talking about is hitting very close to home. Decades ago, I was very religious and contributed art for album covers in the early Jesus music scene. Quite a juxtaposition from what my life is now. The stories I could tell. Thanks, Zach. And God bless us all who have managed to survive and make funny lemonade out of all we've been through. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I want to follow that. I what is the Jesus it. music scene? Just my first <laughs> my first concert was Rebecca St. James, uh, who sings a song called Wait For Me about waiting till marriage. Um, just a lot of switch foot, a lot of, uh, a lot of songs where the you that someone loves just happens to be God. Uh, it feels like that's what Jesus rocked. And sometimes I listen to it nostalgically. I'll mm. go back and listen to a little... Switchfoot album. And mm. funnily enough, Katy Perry started as a Christian singer and then sort of pivoted. Now look um, at her. Now look that at her. That's quite a pivot. <laughs> and so, yeah, G- music, um, my dad would say uh, Satan is the god of the airways. <laughs> and he sees, uh, when he introduced a Beach Boys CD into our family, that was the beginning of its moral decline. Mm, those Beach Boys. Those Can't trust Beach those musicians boys. in Orange County. <laughs> um, Chris writes, I grew up in Florida, and now I live in California. I feel like I'm getting further and further away from my hometown spiritually and can't imagine living there again. But up until the political struggles created by DeSantis, I still enjoyed visiting. Mm. Can you talk about the process of developing a new relationship with your hometown after coming out? Zach? I got served 
a unique situation when my in my freshman year of college, my mother and family moved us from Roanoke to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And so when I go home, I haven't been back to Roanoke in in 12 years. I got asked to come back to do a book event, and I definitely want to, but I'm like, that's going to be a very charged experience sort of going back. Um, I do think sometimes culturally we don't, feel like we have an obligation to do that. I remember right out of college, I was like, should I go become like the principal of my high school? Like, what do I, <laughs> what do I owe the community I grew up in? Because yeah. so many, there's so much uh, brain drain or queer people will run away to the big city uh, to be accepted. Like, what, what is the experience to sort of stay in that community and to be not just one of uh, hundreds of thousands of queer people in New York, but to be like the one gay couple on the block. Yeah. Well, uh, if you if you apply for that job to be principal, I'd love to sit in on the job interview. <laughs> I feel like I've I've pickled my career choices uh, in terms of <laughs> that one's off the table. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're almost uh, at the end of the hour, but what's what's next? What's uh, what's on your plate? Oh my goodness! The, I feel like I have to uh, come out as being incredibly in pain. I I did something to my shoulder on at the gym, and mm. so I went to the ER last night, oh, even no. to get like a Valium and a muscle relaxer. But I was definitely—I know I say I'm an atheist, but I was saying Jesus Christ a lot <laughs> last night. So in the immediate term, I'm trying to figure out which position I can sleep in to minimize yeah. this shoulder pain. But bigger term, like I'd love to um, once the writer strike uh, and a fair deal with the WGA. Uh, and the studios are is established. Sort of start to um, think about TV and film yeah. versions of some of the things. Yeah, I'm I know you'll be here. Some of the your book has been optioned, I think, by Sony. So that sounds great, Zach. We are out of time. Zach Zimmerman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Scott. It was a delight. Book is called "Is It Hot in Here or Am I Suffering for All Eternity for the Sins Committed on Earth?" Zach Zimmerman. This Hour Forum is produced by Caroline Smith and Grace Wan. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Jim Bennett, and Christopher Beale. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Toven Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Scott Schaefer, here today and next week, part of it anyway, for Mina Kim. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Sinner's prayer It's the only one I know It sure as hell don't rob us It's as good as, good as, good as, good as gold Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.